name is Yvonne McAteer, and today with me I have Marcy Tetterton, the Executive Director of Virginia Association of Home Care and Hospice. Thank you for joining us today. This is episode one of the state of home health care in 2021. Today we'll be discussing minimum wage, telehealth, and all the other things that are happening in home health care today. To give you some background on Marcy and, and some uh, context for the discussion that we'll be having today, uh, Marcy has 35 years of experience in health policy. She's a seasoned CEO with a successful track record in organizational growth and policy development, which is so critical for her role today. She's been with the Virginia Association for Home Care and Hospice for over 16 years and is very successful in communicating the impact of legislative and regulatory mandates to a wide variety of audiences. You'll hear today that Marcy has several stakeholders that she serves and navigating that is part of her core function at Virginia Association of Home Health Care and Hospice, otherwise known as VOC. She has worked in her tenure with over 500 home care agencies on driving their business. And from an educational perspective, she holds a BA in Business Administration from Mary Baldwin, an MS in Gerontology from the Medical College of Virginia and the Virginia Commonwealth of University, as well as a Certificate in Association Management. I am so pleased to have her here today. On a personal basis, uh, she loves gardening, knitting, which I know is very prevalent with her right now, and dog training. And for those of you listening, it's not just sit and stay, it's much more complex than that. So if you need some tips, we can always add them on at the end. Um, so today we'll be talking about the state of home health care in Virginia. There's a lot going on, um, obviously legislatively, as well as with uh, a new administration coming in. But I wanted to start with the fundamentals. Uh, Marcy, what is the mission of VOC? Well, thanks, Yvonne. It's really good to be with you, with you today to uh, have this discussion. Uh, the Virginia Association for Home Care and Hospice represents the interest of home care and hospice agencies across uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. Our, our main focus is advocacy, education, <clears throat> and, and guidance to the provider community with a particular focus on um, quality, uh, quality patient care, quality business management strategies. Uh, we take great pride in our strong uh, guidance that we provide here to the provider community. Um, we're very diligent with our educational programming to really meet what the current needs are uh, in the sector for uh, not only the business, but uh, the individual healthcare providers that are delivering services uh, in, in, in the community. Uh, so we're really here focused on uh, getting results for uh, the industry. So launching off of that, Marcy, can you give me an example of a great success or a result that you achieved for a member that um, you, you remember today? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I can. I think one of my favorite success stories was the recoupment of several million dollars worth of, mm. of claims for a handful of providers. Uh, they had uh, found that they weren't able to get uh, these process correctly and efficiently. Um, so we worked with the, uh, uh, it was actually with the VA uh, to mm -hmm. resolve those issues with how the claims were being submitted so that they could receive um, the payments so they could keep their business operationalized, mm -hmm. uh, pay the staff and keep the, our veterans taken care of. And I will say, and most recently uh, we've been working on the larger COVID 
uh, issues in the state. We've been able to help facilitate early on um, some of the protective equipment uh, for our workers from out of the state stockpile. Uh, we have a pretty robust testing program going on uh, for using the Binex Now test. So we've done a lot of different and interesting things over time for our members. Yeah. Wow, that's a, a million dollars in, in savings. That's a significant amount of money. And certainly, and we'll dig into the COVID a little bit, but that's a, a significant role that you're playing with such a critical time in the industry um, because of the workers that are, you know, really considered frontline workers, uh, those that are working for the agencies. Is, is that right? Well, that's correct. I mean, we are, it's what home care and hospice care is one-on-one -on -one care um, in mm -hmm. um, typically in a person's uh, private residence, whether that be a single family home or um, even in an assisted living facility in an apart or in an apartment type complex. So yes, absolutely, it's one-on-one -on -one care. And that one-on-one -on -one care is um, must be so valuable to the to the patients. And you know, we'll talk in about the value of the industry overall. But um, on VOC, there is a great history behind it as well. Um, can you share a little bit about the history with the audience? Uh, yeah, I'll be happy to. Uh, the association is 37 years old this year, mm -hmm. and it was uh, established by a small handful of uh, legacy home care and hospice companies. Uh, uh, there were a couple of nonprofits and owner-operated, uh, even a hospital-based hospital, uh, hospital agency that came together and they really wanted to focus on uh, advocacy issues, advocacy education um, for and guidance for uh, home care uh, as it was a fairly new type of, a, it was a new old type of model of care. Uh, of course, home care has been around for millennials, uh, but it was more formalized by both the Medicare and the Medicaid programs about 40 years ago. Wow, that's a significant history. And it, to your point, it has been around a long time and is continuing to be a very strong industry in the marketplace. Um, what are some of the things that make Bach unique and what trends are you seeing in the industry in terms of growth, the impact of the economy? Yeah, I think one of the, uh, one of the really important things that Bach uh, does is we're able to focus on um, state specific issues, mm -hmm. uh, regulations uh, that affect the industry, regulations that affect the patient. So, um, our ability to be engaged on that level is very critical to our members. Um, we also keep a, a watchful eye on what's going on uh, in the federal government. Um, what we're seeing in the industry most recently is a real trend for people to want to stay at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, we've, we, we've all sort of heard on the news and read the, it, on, in the papers that uh, uh, COVID has taken a particular toll on uh, nursing home residents and assisted uh, folks living in assisted living facilities. Uh, and home care is the alternative uh, mm -hmm. to that type of care. Uh, and I, uh, you and I spoke earlier last week about uh, the Genworth study that was just released and some of those statistics. Uh, not only is it the most popular, but it's the most cost effective too. Uh, and we've even seen, seen um, some new models coming out of Medicare that really 
shift mm -hmm. people from institutional care to home care. So um, it's, uh, it's growing. Uh, the demand is out there. Uh, we, when we expect it to continue to grow over, over time. Yeah, that, that's uh, interesting about the evolution of the industry and, and the one-on-one -on -one care, as you mentioned before, um, and the safety of it now being, you know, even more important than ever. So for those that don't have a context for the size of the industry specific to Virginia, how many home health care companies are there in Virginia? And what are the different types of, of agencies that there might be? Yeah, here in Virginia, we've got about 2,000 licensed uh, home care and hospice agencies in Virginia. And uh, um, they run from those agencies that provide uh, private, private duty or personal care that's helping people with uh, uh, activities of daily living, like feeding, bathing, dressing, um, transferring, things of that nature, all the way up to the very high tech, highly skilled, uh, I, we even have a high so we've got some hospital at home programs are just starting up in Virginia. So um, uh, your, your home could almost become a mini acute care facility, uh, mm. a sub acute care facility for yourself. So um, we've got ventilator patients, we've got tube feedings. So it's, so it's a soup to nuts kind of range of services that home care uh, provides. And, and of course, I think uh, most folks are, are, are familiar with hospice care and the end of life care. And most typically that is done in a, in a, in a person's home. And it's a very comprehensive wraparound services, not only for the person, uh, but they're for their family and, and friends. Yeah, I appreciate that context greatly. I think, you know, my, myself included, I think that there isn't a, an understanding of really the wide variety of care that you can get at home. And to your point, it's even evolving with this you know, almost being a hospital at home right. setting as one of the trends that you're seeing, which is a lot to navigate for an agency, right? Keeping up with the trends and as the industry grows, keeping up with recruitment. Um, I know you had shared with me some stats around um, how many caregivers, you know, that, that are required. So can you share with me a little bit about what the association is doing from a recruitment perspective um, to help the agencies because what I'm hearing is not only is the industry growing, but what the workers or the, the caregivers are doing is going to become much more complex as the industry evolves. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're spot on with that, um, Yvonne. Uh, I think one of our more uh, immediate challenges has been um, in that direct care, personal care, private duty care. The person that, uh, that comes in and sits with uh, your family member and helps them uh, with some light housekeeping, light housekeeping chores, helps them get dressed, prepares a few meals, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. uh, the the it, huge, huge workforce shortages um, in that particular area. And um, I've had the opportunity to serve on um, service chairman of a couple of national work groups uh, looking at these issues and how do we address them. And uh, uh, there's no one simple solution mm -hmm. to that, uh, but one of the things that we spent this past summer working on was uh, 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 the whole world's gone virtual. So we put together a virtual uh, training program for for, for these uh, home care, personal care aides, the frontline workers, and it's a it's a 24/7, so it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a virtual training program. 
and they will receive uh, 32 hours worth of training. Um, and each module has uh, an examination that they must, be, they must complete before they can move on to the next section. Um, and then it's followed up with uh, an eight hour training program at their sponsoring home care agency where they will receive additional onboard training and competency testing uh, mm -hmm. on all the skills that they learned during the 32 hour training. We're really excited about that. Uh, we think it's gonna open up opportunities for uh, a, a wide variety of uh, new types of workers that haven't necessarily been um, available to do home care in the past. So uh, we're excited. Uh, our, our, our initial response has been very positive. So we're excited yeah, about that. That again, I can see the value in that because you're not only just providing the assistance with the recruitment, right? By, by taking workers that aren't necessarily trained and training them, but also providing, you know, in-depth training that the agencies themselves probably don't have the, the time, you know, or, or in some cases, maybe even the expertise to do. So workforce is obviously a challenge. Um, what are some of the other challenges facing the industry? You had mentioned uh, COVID and certainly we're in the middle of the legislative session. I'm sure that there's some legislative um, issues that is also top of mind. So can you tell me a little bit more about the COVID and then the legislative uh, support that VOC is providing to its members? Uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. You know, I, just before I wanted to tell you about one other program that we did for our, uh, and then I'll move on to that. Sure. What we did for our uh, clinical staff, uh, we did a, a chronic disease ma management train the trainer program. And we trained uh, about 100 um, healthcare providers, and then they went out and trained other uh, healthcare providers. We had hospital systems that took advantage of it, uh, other home care, other healthcare types of practitioners, because one thing we know is we don't do a real good job of chronic disease management mm. um, in our healthcare so system. So we're, we, we, we've done a lot of work that, so we do both the paraprofessional and the professional training to make sure people have their skills, uh, skills up to date and current for what the needs are. But yes, COVID has been uh, a big challenge uh, for everyone. We're still working with, uh, we're still on the state uh, task force. Uh, I recognize I'm getting lots and lots of calls about uh, vaccinations and vaccine. There's a lot of challenges with the distribution of the vaccine uh, right now. I think one of the things that we learned um, and the governor even noted in his Commonwealth uh, address last week was that uh, our health departments are built on a, a model that is really, really outdated, like at least 40 or 50 years outdated. So now we have this really massive public health challenge and uh, how do we get people vaccinated? And um, just the mechanics of it is far more complicated than a lot of people uh, could imagine. It would be, I'll tell you, be patient, uh, be patient. We're working on it. Um, uh, it's a man, it's a manpower. It is just gets down to a manpower issue. And, uh, oh, by the way, our technology is not real great, great to run these systems either. So, yeah, uh, that, but, that's uh, an excellent point. Yeah. Um, we already talked a little bit about the recruitment and workforce issue. Um, so I'm gonna, 
go to the regulations because you we you you asked me about uh, some of the challenges regulations. Um, uh, back in July, uh, the Virginia Department of Labor and Industry uh, released some emergency temporary standards um, that really beefed up and focused on uh, public health emergencies like what we're having right now, and it set up a lot of requirements to uh, for businesses all types of businesses across the Commonwealth um, that they would have to meet and some particular protocols. Um, some of them were consistent with CDC. Some of them were not quite exactly, but now they are. So we've been working through that whole regulatory process, but we early on had a couple of web, I had a couple of Zoom meetings and put together uh, a, a staff training that so agencies could meet the staff training requirements. Um, so we put together a, uh, a video for that and sent it out to our members. Um, so we did a lot of work to help people uh, comply with these new state regulations. Uh, for the most part, they were, because we're healthcare, we were already complying, but you still had some other requirements, some documentation, things like that, that you needed to do. So um, that is like a really a hot button regulation right now that we've been working on, but will we work on any plethora of regulations throughout the year? Yeah. So I'm hearing, so there's obviously the recruitment piece, the training piece, your involvement with COVID deployment and even the vaccinations. So that's a lot. I mean, genuinely that, that, that the, that the association is working on. And you mentioned a couple of things with the videos, but how are you, because if I'm an agency member, right, I love that I get all that support and, and advocacy, right? We, I know we're going to talk about future legislative pending, but how do you get that information out to the agencies? Um, you, you mentioned videos. Are there other kind of peer-to-peer -peer sessions, or how do you make sure that your agencies are staying infor informed real-time? Yeah, um, great question. I think uh, one of the things we did early on this year was we initiated a lot of network meetings mm. and they were generally um, topical uh, by categories or types of members it would be. And we had them on a very regular basis and we would just have an open discussion about hot button issues. And uh, there was a lot of really great uh, dialogue, information sharing, um, that went on with, uh, w with those meetings. And we'll continue to have those. Uh, we've, we've been doing those for several years now. So we, we do those, uh, they were Zoom, Zoom meetings for that. Uh, we've done teleconferences in the past. Uh, we have newsletters and special memos and legislative updates that we send out on a regular basis. So uh, we're constantly going back and forth with our members in a lot of different formats to, uh, help them stay engaged and informed with, about what's going on in Virginia. And really we want to encourage um, that peer on peer connectedness. Uh, we work in the, because we're home care and everybody's working at a different, for the most part, a different home, a different location or multiple homes and locations. We don't have that uh, uh, office collegiality or institutional mm -hmm collegiality that you would typically see. So we're trying to facilitate some of that here. Yeah, that's great. And it's, it sounds very hands-on, right, from an association perspective. And also, there's a lot of frequency to it. 
you know, I think sometimes when people think of associations, they think of, you know, one big meeting a year, right? But, but there are weekly things that you're doing with the, with the agencies to help them stay involved, informed. Um, so getting on to your favorite topic of legislation and advocacy for the industry, uh, the General Assembly is occurring as we speak. Um, what are some of the issues that you see that you're engaging in that that agencies should be aware of for the future? Yeah, we've got a we've got a pretty robust list of bills uh, and resolution um, budget amendments that we're following right now, um, and we typically do. Uh, I will tell you that uh, there are some. You know, we were all part of the increase minimum wage discussions for Virginia. Its impact on uh, small businesses across the state. We continue to stay engaged in those discussions because there's a, a, a real gap in what some of the state programs pay providers. It's not going to be sufficient if rates aren't increased significantly. And we're, we're working with that. We're excited about some of the headway we're making in that area. Um, we worked on telehealth legislation. Uh, we do actually have a couple of bills in to extend that specifically uh, to uh, certain segments of home care that have been sort of locked out from the, the use of the tele, telehealth or the, the oh, audio conversation stuff. So we're, we're excited about that. Um, there are other things like other sort of small business concerns such as paid sick leave or paid time off or um, staff, uh, just all staff. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and uh, in, in certainly, um, we have to be aware that there is a there is a cost to small businesses when we when we do things like that. So um, uh, one of the other big pieces of legislation that uh, uh, or groups of big is the social justice movement and uh, how do we deal with uh, restoration of rights? Um, there's some legislation in to expunge felons. And then our question is, uh, we currently do background checks uh, for all of our employees. Wow. So if you expunge the felons, that really certainly is gonna change some of the dynamics of, of the criminal background check system and how do we protect those that we care for. Um, so lots of questions we have about some of the bills that are out there now. So some really big issues uh, to keep an eye on. Yeah, those are, those are big issues, right? I mean, though, and, and obviously you're advocating and focusing on the impact that it has on, on the agencies, but those really are big issues. So you've got the minimum wage uh, increases is already going to happen in, in 2021. I remember you sharing that with me, um, but you're still in the process of, of advocating that they're, that the payments reflect those increases. Did I, did I understand that correctly? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And then this, the, the background check issue, that's a whole another issue in and of itself. So the, the association then is you're tracking closely what's happening with those pending legislations and bringing the, the voice in. Correct. Um, correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Correct. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I always start off by asking questions, lots of questions. What's your intent? Um, so, um, I think I understand what the intent is, but uh, legislators need to be aware of the fact that there could be some unintended consequences for some of their actions. And um, that, that, that's, that's, a, 
That's a big one. That's a big one because we have to, we have to protect the people we take care of. Yeah, that is a big one. And you're, the people thinking about the legislation aren't necessarily thinking to your very point about the unintended consequences and how that will impact businesses as it gets rolled out. Um, so are the, from a member perspective, are they um, kind of giving you their views of their concerns or is it um, that you're kind of brokering the information in between the legislative part and the association? I mean, I'm sorry, and the members. Yeah, that's really what, that's really what I do is I broker. Uh, so really as a broker between what the, uh, the members in the industry there, what their views are on particular issues um, to legislators and uh, try to, to, to sell them on our position uh, for things. Um, but, uh, um, this one is going to be a, this one is going to be a tough one because there's a lot of dynamics to it. Just like the minimum wage, the whole minimum wage piece was a very, very dynamic issue. Uh, um, so, sure. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work through it. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of very, there's just a lot of variables, Yvonne, that have to be with so many pieces of legislation and it may sound really great on a piece of paper. Uh, but then uh, when you, when you get down into the details, there's a lot of issues that have to be worked out uh, right. before you move forward. So, yeah. And that's where those, those 35 years of experience, right. Come into play in terms of leveraging that. Um, so I hear uh, all of the dynamics and it seems like a very moving industry um, just in, in closing, what do you see as the future of home health care? I, I think home health care is going to continue to grow and develop, and we're going to find uh, different ways to care for people at home, uh, ways to keep people at home longer. Uh, it is just really uh, a fabulous model of care. Um, as I said earlier, in, in most cases, it's much more cost effective uh, and it really, really meets that uh, uh, everybody's preference for the most part is to stay at home. I had one legislator told me, tell, told me years ago that uh, um, home care was like uh, apple hood, uh, like uh, motherhood and apple pie. Uh, <laughs> it, it is just such a great, wholesome uh, a wholesome model of care. So uh, I think we have a tremendous amount of opportunity. Um, just let's uh, be careful and make sure we uh, um, dot all the I's and cross all the T's as we continue to grow this industry. Well, I'm grateful, uh, as I'm sure your members and, and the society at large, if you will, are, are grateful that we have you advocating for the industry. Um, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for what you're doing every day. And thank you for joining me for episode one. Uh, stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you. Great. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. Bye.